This is episode number 147 of the Fearless Presentations podcast, the fastest, easiest way to eliminate public speaking fear. Want to absolutely eliminate public speaking fear? This podcast is the answer. Here's the guy who literally wrote the book on Fearless Presentations, Doug Stannard. Everybody, welcome to the Fearless Presentations podcast. I'm Doug Stannard, CEO of the Leaders Institute and Fearless Presentations. And this is the podcast that helps you become a fearless and professional speaker and presenter. This is episode number 147. And a few episodes back, I interviewed a guy named Ivan Ruiz. And, and Ivan kind of got me thinking. And in that discussion, he mentioned that I really should do some episodes on how I actually created a, a multi-million dollar company, especially a training company. And he said, said, man, that would be very interesting to a lot of people. And it's funny because I don't think I've ever actually done that. I don't think I've ever actually written about that or done a, a podcast episode on it. Um, for those of you who have been listening to some of the earlier episodes, or if you've been a long time listener, I did a couple of sessions about how I personally overcame my own nervousness about public speaking, but that's been almost two years ago since I've covered those stories, since I told those stories. So this week, basically what I'm going to do is I'm going to start a, a series that will cover my own story about starting out with how I eliminated public speaking fear myself, how I eliminated that nervousness. And then I'm going to share a few of the secrets about how I built my my business as well. So the podcast is brought to you by the Fearless Presentations classes, and we're still on a pretty limited schedule for the live in-person seminars. So if you're interested in attending one of those, make sure to check out our schedule on the website at fearlesspresentations.com. The next class, by the way, is in Dallas in January, and we also have virtual classes that you can access from any city. And the, the next ones, by the way, are in February and March of 2021. So for details, just go to the website, fearlesspresentations.com. All right, so let's get on with today's topic. So for those of you who aren't familiar with my story, I, I actually overcame being an incredibly shy kid who get, basically got beat up and bullied in grade school. And, and I eventually became an NCAA football player. Uh, and my first formal presentation in the business world was such a failure that it, it cost me my first career. And that kind of sucked really bad, by the way. Um, however, afterwards, I, I created a six-figure income in an entirely different industry and then created a multi-million dollar company from scratch. So in fact, that first failure allowed me to help 100,000 plus people conquer that same challenge, public speaking fear. And each one of the obstacles that got, got thrown in my way taught me lessons that really allowed me to create one of the most successful training companies in the, in the world. So I hope that my story can kind of help you overcome your challenges as well. Um, my point is that if if I can become a great speaker, anybody can do this. Anybody can become a great speaker. You will have to work, though. It doesn't happen by accident, and, and you will have to embrace your fear. You can't just hide behind that fear. And But if you do those things, you're going to experience some great rewards when you do this. So basically, the, the topic of the session is really how a, real, a really shy, introverted weakling played NCAA football and, and survived. 
Um, so, so basically I, I grew up in this little town called Pilarm Creek or Pilarm, Arkansas. All total, we had maybe 400 people in the area. So a very rural area, about 30 miles from the closest, you know, like bank, I guess, you know, but, um, grocery store, that kind of thing. And my dad, uh, the reason why we were living out there is because we were pretty poor, but my dad was able to buy this two room shack that was basically falling to pieces. But that same year, he started a one man construction business and, and he was basically doing house flipping before house flipping was cool before they started doing TV shows about this. And unlike what you see today on the reality TV shows though, um, house flipping in rural Arkansas, it's not a real wealth building activity. Dad would basically buy a condemned house in the ghetto and then he'd spend six months to a year remodeling the houses. And then finally, Hopefully, anyway, he would he would sell the the houses for a profit or that house for a profit. Now, after owning my business myself for over twenty years now, I realized that the mistake that my dad made was that he he took too much time on the projects. You know, since he was such a skilled carpenter, he was really good at it, and so he knew that he could do a lot of the work himself. And that process, though took the better part of a year to complete, sometimes longer. So our family had this huge windfall for a short period of time. It was all at once. When that when one of those houses sold, then we, we had a, a huge amount of money, but that also had to fund dad's next projects. We had to, he had to buy all those materials and be able to live off of that money for an entire year. Uh, which was really tough, really tough. So interestingly, um, this is actually the first major lesson of public speaking. I know that sounds like this has absolutely nothing to do with public speaking, but this is one of the things I see a lot of. And it's one of the things that I recognized very early on as I became a public speaking coach as well, is that um, that dad was an excellent car- carpenter. And the houses that he refurbished were exquisite. They were fantastic houses, but the business wasn't really profitable because of the time that it took. And today I see people make the same mistake with speaking skills. They'll read blogs. They'll watch the YouTube videos. They might even go to uh, Toastmasters or some other type of toasting club for support. But all of those, all of those sources, they have fantastic content. I mean, there's some great stuff out there on YouTube. There's some great stuff out there in books. Toastmasters has fantastic content to to pull from. However, just like Dad, they're trying to do everything by themselves. So as a result, it just takes a long time. So so my life lesson number one that I want to share with you on this on this episode is that speed and quality is much more profitable than quality alone. Basically, if dad had just hired some experts to help him and had invested in a little bit of of additional help, he probably could have flipped these houses in maybe a, a month or two, something a lot faster. And as a result, be able to get that income and be able to live off that income for a much shorter period of time. And I think that's what happens to a lot of people with public speaking skills as well, is that They'll try one thing today and okay, that might work, but then they're not going to do another speech for another, you know, three months, four months, six months or, or something like that. Right. So the length of time that it takes makes it to where it's almost impossible to gain a skill. It's almost impossible to build that, that confidence. And that's one of the reasons why when folks kind of come to us and they go through one of our classes, it, it's so successful for them because they get practice after practice, after practice, after practice, after practice in, in a very short period of time. And so they're able to build their skill in a very, in a much tighter window of, of time. So it helps in a lot of different ways. 
So um, the next kind of life lesson happened when when I was pretty, I was probably in kindergarten, I guess, maybe I was pretty young anyway. Uh, my, my school had a candy drive. I don't know if you guys had this when you were growing up, you know, the, the, the non, the fundraisers for elementary schools and that kind of thing. Kids go out and they sell stuff. Well, my school always sold chocolate bars. Those, those candy bars. And we were told basically that if you just sold a single case of chocolate bars, that you would get your name put into a hat. And at the end of the drive, the principal would draw three names out of the hat and the, the one of the names drawn would get $25 in cash, right? The, another person would get $50 in cash. And then a third name would be drawn and that person would get a hundred dollars in cash. So, so um, I, I mean, I, I was like, wow, okay, that's a lot of money. Cause I mean, at the, at that age, that was a ton of money for a, a young kid. So I, I took, you know, my case of candy out door to door to all of our neighbors. And by the way, I was terrified because I'm a shy guy. You know, I'm, I'm a pretty shy person by trade and, and, or by in general anyway. And I, and I was nervous just speaking to adults just for any reason, much less asking them to buy something from me while I'm interrupting their dinner. That was absolutely just terrifying. So it took me an entire month and a lot of no's, but I sold my entire case of candies and I got my name put in the hat. I was so excited because the, the day of the drawing, I was sitting on the edge of my seat and, and, you know, I knew it was a pretty good size school, you know, so the odds were not really in my favor, but I knew that, I mean, I just knew that one of one of those prizes was going to go to me because my name was in that hat once. So on the day of the drawing though, the, the principal drew the first name. It was, this was for the $25. And, and the winner was my best friend. His name was Barry. And I was really happy for Barry, by the way, you know, cause just the fact that my best friend got the $25 that, that was pretty cool, but I was still pretty disappointed, you know, being a young kid that I didn't win. So, so then the principal pulled out the $50 name. And it was also Barry, right? It was also my best friend. So I, all of a sudden I'm totally confused and shocked. I'm like, wait, wait, how is this even possible? I mean, cause I had assumed that's, they told me you sell a case of candy, you get your name put into a hat, right? No one ever told me that you could sell more cases and get your name entered into the drawing more times. I had no clue, right? So the principal drew the third name, by the way, it was also Barry. So it turns out that Barry had sold over 50 cases of candy in the time that I had just sold one, you know, in that month or so, I mean, he was selling these things left and right. And he walked away with like 175 bucks cash for, a, I think it pro- at the time he was probably seven or eight years old, maybe something like that. So um, it was one of those things that, that uh, kind of stuck with me because I, I, I realized a couple of things in that, at that young age, I learned that selling, was a very well compensated profession, right? So, so salespeople, hmm, if you're pretty good at uh, at selling things, then you, you can kind of make a pretty decent living, even if you're a young person, right? Um, so, the next year, by the way, my little brother, at, the, at that time, my little brother Daniel was he was in kindergarten. He and I came up with a plan. I came up with a plan, and he went along with it anyway. Um, because we saw what Barry did, and fortunately for us, Barry had transferred to a new school. So the door was wide open for a new sales guru to to come in. So we decided that going door to door in really one of the poorest parts of the state of Arkansas was really silly, you know, Um, but we also knew that hundreds of people every day stopped into this place called Sodi's Liquor Store, which was 
they stopped in every day to buy alcohol. That was, is about a hundred yards away from our front door is really the only commerce anywhere close to us uh, was liquor because we live close to the, the river and people would go fishing and they would stop buying sodies on the way to the, 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 uh, the river to, to do their fishing and stuff. And so, so we basically, my little brother and I stood outside this liquor store, little kids standing outside of a liquor store, asking every single person that walked into the store to buy candies from us. And, it was, by the way, it was way less nervous for us to do that because at that point, we're not intruding upon dinner. We're not in, interrupting dinner or anything like that. And in fact, you know, just the fact that two kids are standing outside of a, of a liquor store, we would, people would kind of make eye contact with us. And a lot of times they just smile at us, probably wondering what we were doing there. But when they would see the candy, they would smile bigger to us. And it was a little easier for us to make that approach. And it, the funny thing was that we sold out, that we sold the case of, of candy the first, the first day. Um, so we did that every day for, for weeks. Uh, we didn't always sell out, but we sold more candy that year than basically any other student in the school. And we got some great prizes for, for doing it. Unfortunately, they, didn't, they weren't given the cash prizes that year, I guess, after the very thing, we kind of turned everybody sour on it, but um, we did get some really cool kind of toys and stuff like that. But um, one of the things that we kind of figured out, though, is that most people who are nervous about something, they try to eliminate the fear by avoiding that skill. You know, like, for instance, in public speaking, going back to public speaking, if I don't speak, I'm not going to be nervous, right? Successful people, though, successful business people, they look for ways to reduce that nervousness altogether, and, and basically, we, we find ways to make uncomfortable things more comfortable, and then we're able to do things that other people aren't willing to do. So life lesson number two is you want to look for ways to make fearful situations less fearful, and you'll, you'll do a whole lot better in those situations. So um, still in elementary school, and the, the, the one that I went to had, a few years later anyway, it had two real distinct groups of people, of kids. They were the real preppy kids. They were the ones that lived on the golf course and went to the country club and that kind of thing. Uh, by the way, they were all, you know, a lot of them later on became my, my friends. But um, th- there were also kids like me, though, who were bussed in every morning from the poor areas, you know. So we'd have to get up early in the morning to get the bus and then take a 20-mile ride into, into to school and that kind of thing. So it, it was really hard to fit in. And, and especially since I was the, the shy, skinny kid, I, as a result, I got picked on a lot. I mean, my clothes were really shabby. I had buck teeth <laughs> in, in addition. I, I, was, I was also so, I was so much smaller than the other kids that they, they just kind of towered over me. So one day at recess, this kid, his name was Ken. He was actually a kid that got put back a year. You know, the, the ones that are at school that, anyway, they, he got put back. So he was supposed to be in the next grade. So he was a year older than the rest of us in, in, in our grade. Um, and uh, Ken, he wrestled me down on the schoolyard. I fought back, you know, but I was small, skinny. And but, so um, before long, you know, his, his size and his strength really overcame me. So he pinned my shoulders to the ground and he just started pummeling me in the face over and over and over. And, uh, I, and there was nothing I could do. I mean, I couldn't move. Now, eventually, thank God, I guess he got tired or his hands started hurting or whatever, but he just all of a sudden just stopped. And I was just kind of left on the ground bleeding with, with what seemed like the whole school looking on. So it was one of the most 
defining moments in my life because it was one of those things that just, just it embarrassed me so bad. I was like, I never want to have anything like that. I don't want to be a victim. I don't want to be somebody that, that other people can kind of take advantage of. So um, I, I kind of had two choices. I could continue being the shy, skinny kid and I could keep getting picked on, or I could make the decision that my current situation didn't define who I was just because I was shy and skinny right now. That didn't mean that I was always going to be shy and skinny. So I decided that I didn't want to be the skinny kid anymore. And so while back then, this was when, this is how old I am back then it was, this was back before even Nintendo and PS3s and all that kind of stuff. It was Atari. All the rich kids had the Atari. It was brand new at the time. And they were sitting around playing the little pong game or whatever it was at the time. Uh, But I convinced my dad to loan me, some money to buy a, a weightlifting set. And I worked out every day, by the way. I mean, I was totally, I mean, I, 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 anytime that I didn't want to work out, I was just kind of thinking about Ken sitting on my chest and pummeling on me. And so um, I, 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 by the time that I entered the eighth grade, which was probably two years later, I guess, and three years later, maybe uh, instead of skinny, now it was, more like lean and stocky, right? So, and I, I actually began to love the workouts. Um, so the, the key thing to keep in mind here is that once you make a decision, it's not work anymore. Work doesn't seem like work anymore once you kind of make the decision. So um, my, my, my junior high school was actually combined with a senior high school as well. So one day in the lunchroom, I, I'm, I'm kind of watching, I see this guy, he's wearing this t-shirt that says 200 pound club. Never heard of that, but it's got a, it's got a, a barbell on it. And, and so um, it kind of piqued my interest because I was kind of into lifting weights at the time. It turns out that the football coaches would give these shirts to guys who could bench press like 200 pounds and 250 pounds or 300 pounds. So there was a 200 pound club, a 250 pound club, a 300 pound club, so, so when um, anytime one of the um, students was able to bench press one of those amounts uh, of, of poundage of weight, then um, the, the coaches would actually give them one of these t-shirts, which was kind of cool. I mean, it, there were only a few kids in the entire school that had these and most of them were in high school. And, I, and at the time I was 13. So, um, so the, during the test, um, which was, you know, every are uh, are maxing, you know, we're maxing out weights. Um, the whole gym, I mean, there were probably 30 students in the, in the gym and it went nuts when at the age of 13, I became the youngest person in that school to actually join the 200 pound club. And then a year later, by the way, I joined the 250 pound club, right? So, so, I mean, all of a sudden this young kid, this young stocky kid, that was the, the guy that got beat up, you know, just like three or four years ago. Now, all of a sudden I was a, a, a little, a, a little bigger and starting to kind of make, uh, come into my own. Right. Um, when, when I was 15, by the way, my, my dad got a, a great job in Texas. So um, at my new school, no one there knew that I was the small, skinny, bucktooth kid. By the way, by that time, my permanent teeth were a little straighter than my baby teeth. So it wasn't as big. I mean, I still got them, but they're not as noticeable anymore. Um, but I, I was I was the kid with no his, with no history. I mean, I was nobody knew that I was the bitch bench warmer on the seventh grade football team, right? Nobody knew that. All of a sudden, I was the stocky, strong kid who got things done. So the coaches on my new team, they absolutely loved me because I, I worked harder than anybody else. I mean, I, I worked harder than the other kids. I had to, right? Um, my senior year, by the way, 
Spike Dykes, who was the head coach of Texas Tech, he was the guest speaker at our sports banquet. And at the end of the night, you know, one of my coaches introduced me to, to coach Dykes and he turned to me and said, they kind of told him some of the things that I had done in, in high school. And, and um, of course I didn't get recruited and I didn't, um, uh, you know, there weren't like a whole lot of schools actually looking to, to give me a scholarship or anything, but coach Dykes kind of turned to me and he said, son, uh, I, he said, I can't give you a scholarship, but if you walk on and you prove yourself, I'll make sure you get a good education. And that, I mean, that's all I needed. In the, in the fall, I was a Red Raider. <laughs> and, and so it, if you think about it, I mean, it kind of all goes back to that, you know, that, that fourth, fifth grade situation with Ken. In essence, I owe my, my education, really my career as a speaking coach to a punk kid in the fifth grade who beat the crap out of me because that huge obstacle, obstacle became the source of a, of a big strength in my life, you know? So life lesson number three, this is the third thing that I want to get across to you is that obstacles that you overcome often become significant strengths. They're the things that, that kind of drive us, you know, when, when something gets thrown our way, uh, it, we have that option to say, okay, well, maybe I'm just not good at that. Or, you know what? I used to not be good, good at that, but I'm going to make sure that I get fantastic at this thing. And the folks that, that have that counter argument with themselves are the ones that really get ahead. So I graduated in, in three and a half years uh, and, and I was able to play football at Texas Tech with guys like like Zach Thomas, he was a linebacker for the Miami Dolphins and later the Dallas Cowboys. Lynn Elliott was the was the um, the Super Bowl kicker. He got a Super Bowl ring, maybe two, I think, for the for the Cowboys. Uh, Sammy Walker, he was a cornerback for the Pittsburgh Steelers. So, and, and in fact, my coach in college, uh, my linebacker coach, he was a, a, a guy named Gary Gaines. Um, if you ever saw the movie Friday Night Lights or read the book Friday Night Lights. Coach Gaines was the coach in that in that book, and that Billy Bob Thornton played him in in um, on the in the movie, which by the way he did a pretty good job. I mean, I, I've I've seen I'd seen Billy Bob Thornton a few times in a different a lot of different roles, and man, he got Coach Gaines down pretty pretty solidly, with the exception of I think at one time he. Uh, in the in the movie, kind of yells at the kids. I never saw Coach Gaines ever raise his voice to anybody ever. Nicest guy ever. But uh, I learned more about leadership and about team building from Coach Gaines than maybe from anybody else, with the exception of the lady that I'll talk about in in a little bit on the on the next session. Anyway, so it is. So those are the first three real life lessons that I learned. Now I know some of you are going, God, why is he telling us about his childhood? All of those decisions that we make, we've got an option when, when we're, when a challenge comes before us, we have an option about how we think about that thing. For some people in public speaking, especially they, they will have something occur in their lives where they go, Oh my God, man, that I just, I'm not good at speaking. Whoo, man, I really sucked there. That didn't really make juice. I don't ever want to experience that again. And so as a result, they hide from their, their setback. Um, folks that do that are always going to be fearful when they have to stand up and speak in front of a group because they're not learning anything, right? So next week, I'm going to tell you about the early stages when I had, um, when I was speaking, some of the things that occurred to me where um, things didn't go as well as what I wanted them to. And I, and I used the same techniques that I learned when I was a kid about 
hey, or if if things don't go well, then you just put your nose to the grindstone and you kind of figure out ways to to get better at that thing. And that's really how I overcame the my fear of public speaking. And we'll talk about that next week. I'll kind of talk about the specific things that I did to overcome my public speaking fear and how you can do those things as well. And then in future sessions, I'll tell you about how I built the Leaders Institute to a multi-million dollar company. So we'll see you next week. Thanks, guys. Subscribe to this podcast for new public speaking secrets each week. 